You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. I want to start out by talking to you about commitment. Yay! Well, y'all look so excited. (laughs) It's not a very fun subject to talk about. Nobody gets pumped up or excited like, yeah, commitment. Woohoo! I love to commit. No, not so much. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing or doing the right thing. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we don't quit. Don't give up. So last week we talked a lot about planting seeds and about the crops that you have planted and about being, you know, about the, it's the same process to bury a dead body as it is to bury a seed. And so you're waiting. But here in verse 9, what we just read, Galatians 6 verse 9 tells us that we will reap. Don't grow weary. Don't get tired. In other words, don't stop with your commitments being committed, even if you don't see the fruit yet, because it will come up if you don't faint, if you don't stop. But commitment is, felt like God was landing on my heart, and it's not a very fun thing to talk about. It's not something that gets people pumped up or excited, but it's so important. We see it throughout the Bible, and we're, we're commanded in so many different places. We're going to look at some of those places where we're commanded to commit to God first and commit to each other and be committed to do the right thing. We're supposed to be a committed people. Jesus was committed to the cause, to his purpose, what he was here for. Not many people want to talk about commitment. It's almost like a bad word. Oh, you just want to control me. No. Oh, you're just trying to get my money. You talk about being committed financially. No, that's not it at all. You're just, you're just trying to get more of us to volunteer to help get the ball field ready for the next tournament. I'm not picking on anybody, but uh, I read a few statistics about millennials. This generation of millennials. And, you know, the millennials have some nicknames that they're becoming known as Generation Snowflake. I don't think that's a compliment. (laughs) Or... The other big one is generation job hop. They can't they can't commit or be satisfied in one place and they got this isn't good. I gotta go to here, gotta go to here, gotta go to generation job hop because they keep on moving around that's lack of commitment. Divorce rates are higher now than ever. More and more people are divorced, broken commitments. I mean, marriage should be the biggest commitment you make besides God. I heard a story about this old man, and he was almost 70, and he went down to the Chevrolet dealership and told him he wanted to look for a car, and they said, what do you need? We got some nice F-150s over here, or what? He said, no, I want to see that souped-up Corvette you got over there. I'm like, okay. Old dude wants a sports car, so they took him over there and showed it to him, and they took his information, and old guy had good credit, and he said, could I take it for a test drive? They said, sure, go ahead. We'll let you take it out. So he takes off, and he pulls out of the dealership, and he he hit 27 up there and waited until he got through the red light, hit that straightaway. He said, I'm going to see how fast this thing can go. Drops the gas, hammers it, takes off, gets going 100, 110, 120, 130, 140. Georgia State Patrol comes flying out behind him with the blue lights on. 
For just a second, he thinks, oh, police, I should stop. And then he says, I wonder if this thing can outrun him. By now, he's already passed Walmart, and he's headed up towards Buckhannon, up 27 down there. So he hammers it, gets going 150, and starts to kind of leave the Georgia State Patrolman's car, but he can still see him in the background, and he's thinking, what in the world am I doing? This ain't even my car. I'm on a test drive in this Corvette, and now I'm running from the police, and I'm not a criminal. I'm not a bad. i got to stop. I'm going to have to stop and just take whatever consequences. So he puts on the brakes and starts slowing down and pulls over. Georgia State Patrol flies up behind him, and he jumps out. He comes up with his gun drawn, and he comes up, and the old guy's got his hand sticking out of the car. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, officer. And he said, look, what in the world are you doing? You running from me, but then you pulled over? And he said, no, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. And he said, whose car is this? He said, I'm just on a test drive. I got it from the, the Chevrolet dealership up there. Police officer was like, man, how old are you? He said, 69. And he's like, you realize I just, I got you going over 150 miles an hour. This is a super speeder. Your ticket's going to be ridiculous. It's I mean, this is bad news for you. I, I, he, police officer's thinking, he's looking back. He said, look, my shift ends in 30 minutes. I'm about to ask you a question. And if you can answer my question and tell me something that I hadn't ever heard before, I'm going to let you go. You ready? Old man said, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. He said, Why? Were you going that fast? No, better yet, why did you try to run from me? Old man thought for a second. He said, look, I'm single. And that's why I was, I went to buy that car. I just thought it'd be fun to ride that thing around on the weekends. He said, and my wife ran off with a Georgia State Patrol officer, and I thought you were bringing her back. police officer smiled and said, have a good day, sir. <laughs> Commitments. Marriage should be the big commitment, but how many of you know the wrong commitment can hurt you? Sometimes the things that you are committed to are not good things or they don't bring joy. So my question for you as we're getting started is, what are you committed to? You're committed to something. There are things in your life that you are committed to. And they may not be good things. Could be the wrong things, bad things, some good, some bad, but you're committed to something. You might be committed to your favorite TV show and Cheetos, but you're committed to something. Everybody is. What is it that you're committed to? Think about that. Do a self-evaluation, and then I'm going to pass the mic around. We won't pass the mic around. Think about it, though. Is it good? Is it bad? What am I committed to? Is it helping? You know, God will call you to do something in your life. He's done it to me over and over and over. He'll call you to do something that's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some obedience. And you're not going to see the results right away. And sometimes it'll get dry. You'll go through a hard time. But that's what gives you strength. That's the testing. You may not see the fruit right away. But will you stay committed? Like we talked about last week, will you stay planted or are you just going to run? Every time it gets hard, are you just going to run away? Because you're never going to get big. You're never going to get strong. You're never going to produce the fruit. You're never going to walk in purpose if you keep running every time it gets hard. You've got to be committed. You've got to make up your mind to stay. I dare you to take a little pain. Stay. Just takes time. It just takes some time. 
So what's God called you to do? Start a small group? How about start a ladies' book study on Sunday nights? When he asked you to start something, he asked me to start something called warrior training a few years ago, and we've been doing it three days a week ever since. It's been several years ago, and there's been different people come, and sometimes no one's come. And I've sat by myself and spent that time with God. And that's cool, too, because it's what he said. It's a commitment, something that he said to do, so you do it. You press on whatever he's called you to do. I'm starting a group at my house. Um, probably start it next week. It's for people with OCD. And I don't have OCD, but I'm hoping they'll get there and look around and start cleaning. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> what are you committed to? I'll just say something sweet about my wife here in a minute to try to <laughs> come on. What are you committed to? Are you committed to anything bigger than yourself in your whole entire life? Are you committed? Your time, your talents, your money, any part of you, any part of your life, does it go to something bigger than you or is it just all about you and your selfish needs? What are you committed to? Look at Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit. There's our word. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But if you will commit your way, or what you do, your path, the way you're headed, the things that you're doing, if you'll commit your way and trust him, he shall bring it to pass, that scripture tells us. He'll make it happen. Well, that's pretty cool. Look at Proverbs 16, 3. Commit thy works. Works or the things that you do. Commit thy works. Commit the things that you do unto the Lord. That automatically makes me think of Colossians 3, 23 and 24, um, that says, like, whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever work your hand finds to do, so every day, no matter what you're doing, wherever you go to work, whoever you're serving, whether you're getting paid, you're not getting paid, you're helping somebody, what, do it like you're doing it for God. And then God will bless you. Then God will pour out on you because then you're not just working a job somewhere. That's your ministry. And we had a, uh, the Harrelson County police, thanks to Nathan calling the sheriff, um, sent a guard and, was it six? Six prisoners out here to help us, help us on the ball field. So I stood and talked to the guard for a while, right, Nathan? That dude was pretty talkative. I wanted to talk about church and ministry and wanted to come in and see the church and it turned out to be a really cool thing and the prisoners worked and we fed them lunch and they were super grateful to get to come in and sit down in the ac and eat lunch and rather than cleaning the side of the road somewhere it turned out to be a cool thing because it really helped us out getting some stuff ready on the field and they were really grateful but anyways back to back to what i was saying uh, he was the guard was talking to me about how he feels like he's called the pastor and has been for years and he's an elder at his church or whatever but he feels like he's called a pastor but that God's got him in this position and this is his ministry and he ministers to his crew every single day and told me about some things that he does with them and for them that he doesn't have to or whatever. It's just cool that he can be the light, that he can show Jesus 
to them. And it's people that don't look like him and are in a different place in life than him. And it's really cool that he can shine his light in that way. But that's the same for you. If you're doing it as unto the Lord, it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever your hand finds to do, Colossians says, do it as unto God and then he'll bless you. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. If you will commit your works to the Lord, it'll change the way you think. Remember, Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think about things. Look at that. Commit. Commit the things that you do, your works, to the Lord. And your thoughts will be established. It'll change the way you think. We're called to commitment as Christians. It's all through the Bible. In Ephesians 6, Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 6, we won't turn to all these places, but we're called as Christians to commit to our families, to our neighbors, to employers. We're called to commit to the church. We're called to commit to our health and our bodies, the temple, to take care of ourselves. Jesus said, number one, this is the number one thing, the number one thing you need to commit to is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is your number one commitment. And then all these other things, to love each other. You know gravity has a call on your life. You hear people all say, God's got a call on your life, and He does, but sometimes it's hard to understand, or we don't know what it is, but think about it in this way. Gravity has a call on your life. It has a purpose, a call, a law, some would call it, and it says, stay on the ground, and you obey for the most part, right? If you go jump off a cliff... You're not breaking the law of gravity. You're proving it. For a minute, you might be flying through the air, but what you're doing is proving it. Look at this. What? Stay on the ground, gravity says. No. I defy you, gravity. But then I hit the ground. It's only for a moment. Just for a minute. You're just proving it. When you go against God's law and God's purpose, God's call on your life, it may look like you're breaking it, but eventually you'll prove it. No matter how good you get at jumping, gravity still wins. I don't care how good you are. I mean, LeBron James can jump a whole lot higher than I can, but gravity still pulls him back down the same way it pulls me back down. God's law says that we're supposed to commit. We can run from it and not commit, and, but eventually we'll prove it. Did you know there are problems that only consistency can fix? Mm. See, we want now. We want big, dramatic solutions that are going to fix the problem now. A problem that we've spent years forming. But sometimes consistency is the only way to fix it. See, we want to fix our marriage with a big gift or a new car or a romantic vacation. But that doesn't work. That's not... That's not how you fix it. There are problems that only consistency can fix. We want to do one intense workout and then get sweet muscles. Sorry, doesn't work. No, one time, 
I brushed my teeth, and I brushed them good. And then I rinsed with mouthwash, and I brushed them again. And then I flossed. Right? Really good. I mean, I scrubbed them. It was intense. Then I even put some of that more of that strong Listerine mouthwash, and I washed my tongue, scrubbed my tongue with the toothbrush and everything. I mean, my mouth was so clean and minty fresh. About a year after that, I went to the dentist, and they told me I had cavities and I needed teeth pulled in the back, and I don't understand why. You have to brush your teeth every day. You have to keep going over more than one time a day, multiple times a day. You're supposed to floss and keep them clean. And you, you have to, it's not a one-time thing. You have to have consistency. You have to be committed. In life, you can't just blow up and do one thing and then that's it. You have to, you have to be consistent. You have to keep on going. You can't just work out once and get strong. You can't just brush your teeth once and have good, healthy teeth. Intensity does not replace consistency. I see a lot of people that think that, well, I'll just do it real good and real strong and real hard this time. And that, that doesn't replace consistency. On a job, in a church, in a marriage, in a relationship, in no. Intensity is great, but it doesn't replace consistency. Paul told Timothy, I want you to be steady. I want you to be reliable. I'm glad you got some passion, but be consistent. Do you know, health-wise... You'd be better off walking half a mile a day for the rest of your life than to run a five-mile sprint one day. It's consistency. Do what you can do. Pastor Bruce says um, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Your call, your purpose in the kingdom, it's not a sprint. You'll burn out and fall away. It's a marathon. Pace yourself. Do it with excellence. Don't try to get running so fast that you get out of breath. So you need to commit. Now, this is where I was going to finish up this beautiful message on committing. And <laughs> you need to commit. But there's one thing you need with your commitment. If you want to be powerful, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to change the world. See, some Christians are committed. They're really committed, but they have no passion. They've lost their passion. If you can have commitment and passion, ah, that's great. That's what we need. That's where you get power. That's where you get fruit. See, some Christians are committed, but they have no passion. Some Christians are passionate, and they can't commit. And I know different people are popping in your mind right now, because they were in mine, and they are again. But, but please try to focus on yourself. Please think about yourself, but there's those people that they have passion, passion for days, and they get stuff done, and they're so talented, but they're not committed. Worth it. You can't count on them. And then you got them people that are so committed, and they're reliable and steady, but they're, they got no passion, motivation to get anything done. They're committed, but they're... The perfect mix is... See, we're supposed to have commitment and passion. As Jesus followers, we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to be Christ-like. And when I look at the life of Jesus, there was nobody I can see in history that was more committed than Him. 
committed to the cause, even when it went against his own will, even when he sweated drops of blood because he didn't want to do it, he still said, no, I'm committed to the cause. I'm committed to what I'm here for. Not my will, but your will be done. But he moved with such passion. He did miracles and he healed the sick and he, he touched people that the law said he wasn't supposed to touch and he forgave people that were in sin in the moment, in adultery. He, he forgave them. He stood up to the people in the temple. He, he moved with passion. Even we know his death on the cross is known as the passion of the Christ. If you go look up passion, in the, even in like the Webster's Dictionary, you're going to see the passion of the Christ. The suffering that Jesus went through is an example to describe passion. Jesus was fully committed and full of passion. God, that's what I want. I want to be committed and full of passion. So when did you lose your passion? You know, a good marriage is commitment and passion. Not just one or the other. You need both. Commitment and passion. A powerful Christian life should be full of commitment and full of passion. Look at 1 Timothy. We're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up. 1 Timothy 6. Um, Paul is Timothy's spiritual father and Timothy's young guy, um, probably in his 20s. And he's pastoring the largest church in that day. Um, a lot of scholars believe that the church that Timothy was pastoring got up to around 20,000 people. Huge church. And Timothy's got a lot on his shoulders and a lot of responsibility. And, and this is a letter that Paul's writing Timothy to the young man telling him what he should look like, what his Christian life should look like, what his example should be. And, and look what Paul says to Timothy. In... Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. But you, Timothy, man of God. Just right there. You, Timothy, man of God. That's a father giving identity to a son. You are a man of God, Timothy. Run for your life. Will it kill you? No. But you can choose death. Run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life. So he says, number one, pursue a righteous life. Pursue, or this will be the course of your life, Timothy. Your life should be defined by righteousness. What is righteousness? It's that we're in right standing with God, but it's a gift. Have you ever gotten an awesome gift? Has anybody ever given you just a really cool gift or a nice gift or something you really appreciated? It's hard to be mad when you're thankful. You know what? Think about it. If I'm really grateful to somebody for something that they've done or a gift that they've given me, it'd be really hard to be mad at them. When you're thankful, you're grateful. Paul said, Timothy, your life will be defined by his gift, by righteousness. What does a life defined by righteousness look like? Paul's about to tell him. Here's what it looks like. A righteous life. A life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness. Courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life. The life you were called to. The life you are so fervently, that you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. Paul gives him five things that this life of righteousness should look like. The first one was wonder. 
Well, what is wonder? Wow. Wow. Awe is one of the definitions, one of the meanings. Filled with life. The very first one he gives is wow. Wait. You died for me. I got a place in the family. I get to be a part of this. I get to lead. I get to, I get a call and a purpose. I get to be a part of something bigger than me. Wow. I don't understand. I don't deserve it. I don't. I, wow. I'm in awe of how good you are, God, and how you made a place for me. I, it starts with wow, with wonder. Second one, he says, faith. What's faith? Trust. That we trust him. We learn to trust. Even if things don't look like we think they should, we trust. So it's wow, and then faith, I trust you. No matter what I'm going through, I see you, I trust you, I have the faith. I believe that what you said is true. I believe I'm going to have what you said I would have. And then the third one, love. Love who? He said, love you. Love yourself. Love other people. Love me. Just love. My agape love. Here, I'm going to take my God love, my agape love, and I'm going to put that on the inside of you so that you can love with that and you don't even need anything in return. How about that? Just love. So a life defined by righteousness should look like, wow, I'm so glad I get to be a part. And then I trust you. I have faith. I believe. I trust. And love. I just, I, I love you. I love me. I love who I am. I love who you are. I love the people that I come in contact with. I have love for God and for people. So wonder, trust, love. It's a beautiful progression. And then number four, steadiness. Wah, wah, wah. Wow. Come on, Paul. <laughs> Doesn't really fit with the first three. Steadiness. And well, what's number five? Courtesy. Come on, dude. We were on a roll. One, two, three, bang, bang, bang. Steadiness and courtesy. What? See, I like feelings. I love to feel. And Paul goes from feelings to actions. The first three I can feel. The second two are actions. Doesn't matter how I feel. You know, commitment is not a feeling. When you commit, I'm committed to my wife, Jessie, and it doesn't matter if I feel like it or not, it's a commitment. It's not a feeling. Steadiness. Number four, he said, steady. What's that? It's obedience. Pastor Bruce says that obedience is a slow, steady walk in the same direction. Slow and steady walk. Somebody that's steady is dependable. They're there. You can count on them. They're committed. It's what we've been talking about. Steadiness. Committed. Can we get back to the feelings? If you live a life of one, two, and three, wonder, trust, and love, then you will be four and five. If you're truly living out one, two, and three, you'll be four and five. The fifth one was courtesy. What's courtesy mean? You leave good tips for waitresses. Huh? You're kind. Learn how to look people in the eyes and care about what they're going through and where they're coming from. You're polite. Say please and thank you. You're not a jerk. You don't make us all look bad. Courtesy. Man, Jesus got wronged more than anybody 
ever has. And his beard ripped out and crown of thorns and his clothes ripped off and he was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They didn't know. They probably didn't mean it. We get mad about a little dumb stuff. My Lord, do you see what she said on Facebook? <laughs> Come on. took too long to get my food I don't think I'm going to leave a tip that's not Journey's fault it's Teresa's I'm just kidding <laughs> it, it took me too long yeah Teresa I said that because it's very far from the truth everybody knows that <laughs> what that's not a Christian life no we still leave tips we're courteous. We're steady. We try to see where people are coming from. We feel their pain. Because it's not all about us and me and what I feel like and me being selfish. And look, no. Because if we're living this life of wonder and trust and love and steadiness and courtesy, we start to look different than everybody around us. Things start to change. Remember, I won't turn there because I'm going to wrap it up. But in 2 Samuel 6, you all know the story. We've looked at the story before. Go this week and read. There's your homework. Go read 2 Samuel 6. But it's at a time when David was the king. But the Ark of the Covenant, back then, God lived in the Ark. That was the presence of God. That's where He was. And now we know that He lives inside of us. His presence is in us. But back then, His presence was in the Ark. And the Ark of the Covenant wasn't at home in Israel. So David decides to go and get the Ark from this guy's house. And the Ark was in a guy named Abinadab's house. And Abinadab had two sons. And their names were Uzzah and Ahio. Okay? Now, God's law and God's rule said that the Ark, His presence, had to be carried on men's shoulders. The priest's shoulders on wooden poles, but that it was to be carried on men's shoulders. Now, David goes down with 30,000 men, kind of overkill, uh, goes down to this guy's house and like, hey, we're here to take God's presence back to the city. And they're like, yeah. So they get this great plan. Remember, you're supposed to put it on wooden poles on the priest's shoulders. They put it on a brand new cart with an ox pulling it. And Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's two sons, are walking along beside it. And the ox stumbles and the cart falls and the ark starts to slide over. And Uzzah reaches out and catches the ark because he thought it was going to fall on the ground. Only a priest was supposed to touch the ark. Only a priest could touch God's presence. So God got angry. Go read it. God got angry and killed him. He dropped dead. And David got upset. Nobody, they, they were wondering why or what's going on. And then they just shoved the ark in somebody's house that they were close to. I'm sure he was happy. Yeah, thanks. This thing just killed a man. We got to get rid of it. Here. And they stuck it in his house and... I was thinking about that, and it's something that I've, I've thought about before. Like, why did Uzzah get killed? Why? And he knew that he wasn't supposed to touch it. Like, he would have known that law, that rule. And then I started thinking as I read the story, wait, Uzzah was one of Abinadab's sons. That ark had been in Abinadab's house for all this time, so he had just gotten familiar with it. It was no big deal. The presence, God, maybe he was just a little bit familiar with it. Now, after the cross, we're called to carry the presence of God. Not a cart, not a mechanism, not a man made 
vehicle, not a church. Problem comes when we walk along beside a church or another man or anything carrying the presence. We're called to carry that on us. It's meant to be carried on your shoulders like a mantle. Can't just throw it on a cart and only reach out for it when there's a problem or trouble. So what happens? They stick it in this other guy's house and God starts blessing him because his presence is there and everything he does. and his, I mean, his crops and his kids and everything. Just God's blessing him like crazy. And the word comes back to David and they're like, hey, David, God's blessing everything because of the presence. And David's like, let's go get it. So David gets the priest, and they're going to go get it right this time, like how God said to get it. And they go get it, and they bring a whole entire band, a whole marching band, a worship team, and they got harps and cymbals and all kinds of instruments. And they go down there, and they get that thing. The priest put it on their shoulders, and they start coming like a parade. And every six steps they took, one, two, three, four, five, six, they stopped, had a worship service, Worshipped God and sacrificed and killed animals as a sacrifice unto God. And then they walked six more steps and then they did that again. And then they walked six more steps and they did that again. That's insane. David ends up just stripping down his clothes and was dancing like crazy before God. And he was just worshiping and didn't care who was watching or what was going on. He was bringing the presence back in. Didn't care what it costed. Didn't care how much sacrifice there would be to get. Remember we talked about it takes sacrifice for progress a couple weeks ago. David didn't care what we have to sacrifice. We're bringing the presence home. David is one of the most passionate men we see in the Bible. And he was also committed. And even when he messed up and his commitments went off, what separated him was he always came back, repented, changed his direction. David was committed, and David had some passion. And this was one of those instances where we get to see David's passion as he danced and worshiped before the ark as it came in, and Michael. Saul's daughter, David's wife, she looked out the window and she saw him dancing in front of the ark and she despised him. She said, what a fool. And when he finally came in and they brought the ark into the place that he had set up for it into the temple, then he blessed all the people and he gave them all a flagon of wine and a big chunk of meat and he gave them a piece of bread and he sent them all home. Everybody, men, women, all of them got it. He blessed everybody, and then he went to bless his own house out of the overflow of the worship, and the presence of God is back, and he came back into his house, and his wife was like, you fool. You made yourself look like an idiot in front of all those handmaidens. You made yourself, you, you're a disgrace to this kingdom. Who do you? She didn't understand. Why? Passion can't be experienced from a distance. You can't worship from a distance. You have to get close. It looks ridiculous looking at it over there. You have to get close. Can't worship from a distance. So the church... Is our connection to the body. Worship's our connection to God. It's how we draw close. It is only through intimacy that the things of God will be birthed. You know, Michael never had any more kids after that. She was barren. But the ark came home, and David had some passion. I must have you. I don't care what it costs. I don't care who's looking or who thinks I should or shouldn't be doing this or how much sacrifice there has to be or what we have to do. I don't care. 
I must have you. That's got to be our attitude. Some of us have never had it. But they sacrificed every six steps. That's a lot. From the outside looking in. But it's worth it. Passion plus commitment equals hashtag goals. Relationship with God. My relationship with God. I want people to look at at that relationship and say, wow, he's committed and he's got passion. And I want people to look at my relationship with my wife and say, hey, he's committed to her and he's got passion, not one or the other. I want people to look at the way I, I pastor and do what I'm called to do in this church and say, he, he's committed to the call and he's got passion. We should all want that. Because that's what Jesus looked like. What prompted this whole passion thing? Um, I had a dream, and it was so real. Not before, not before last. Um, and it was about my niece, Azalea. And if y'all don't know, I love that little girl. She can't do anything for me. Doesn't have anything to offer me. But I love her a lot. And I had this dream. And I was standing there talking to somebody. And I don't remember who I was talking to. And I could see Azalea waddling around because she's just learning how to walk good. And I could see her over there. And I saw someone I didn't know. A man run up and grab Azalea. And he picked her up and he tucked her head down like that to where she couldn't scream. And he took off running. And I took off chasing him with everything that was in me. And whoever I was talking to, don't care, don't know, mid-sentence, whatever. And as I was running, I don't know if I was at a store or what, but a buggy came out in front of me and I ran into the buggy and fell down. And I was trying to keep my eyes on the guy as he was running. And I could see Azalea's face as she was starting to scream and I shoved him out of the way and kicked the buggy and ran with, with everything inside of me to get to her, to save her. Didn't matter what came in front of me. I was committed to catching her. And when I caught up with him, right when I got to him, I cocked back my left arm to punch this guy because I will stop at nothing to save her. And as soon as I got to him, the guy stops running and he turns around. And it's God. And he handed me Azalea. And he said, I want you to pursue me with the passion that you pursued her with. I must have you. Nothing else matters. I don't care if a buggy gets in a way. I don't care if my shin gets busted. I don't care who tries to stop me. I must have you. And he said, I've got things that I want to give you. <laughs> he handed me Azalea. He said, I've got things that I want to give you. But until you learn to pursue me with the commitment and the passion... I can't release those things. Let's pray. God, we want to be committed. And God, I believe there's probably some of us in a boat where we really need to check our commitment levels. And maybe we're not as committed as we should be in, in our jobs or in our marriages or in our families or at church or with our finances, or it could be all any different area. But I believe there's a group of us in this room that probably need to check our commitment levels.
And then I believe there's a group of us in the room that probably need to check our passion. Check that fire, that flame, that passion that would drive us, that would push us, that would wake us up late at night. The hunger. For some of us, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe we need to get a little more passion and commitment. But God, I believe you're speaking to us. And God, I believe by seeing your truth and hearing it, you can change our mind. That we can realize the importance. God, we're chasing you. God, we must have you. We want your presence in our life. We want your presence in our relationships and in our marriages and in our homes and, and in our church. To where nothing else matters. And what people say, talking about you or throwing sticks and stuff, none of that matters. We chase after you. God, I want to live a life of wonder and trust or faith and love and courtesy and steadiness. God, we love you. Thank you that there are no last chances with you. That you pick us up every time we fall. God, continue to grow us. Change us from the inside out. Transform us into who we really are. That we can stop faking and posing. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name. Amen.